0: hey guys just before we get started i wanted to kind of put a swear warning because i realize i do in fact swear a lot and i just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child and also i'd like to say uh sorry mom <laughs> let's get started with the episode hey guys welcome back to the long nation rain podcast i'm aiden i'm your host for this podcast so bonjour Monamies. <laughs> uh, thank you guys so much for joining me for uh, part two of Marie Trace. Now, uh, before we get into it, I'm just gonna tell you a little bit about my week. Also, um, I guess this is technically the second part of the anniversary episode because my two-year anniversary of this podcast was on the fourteenth. I completely forgot. I've been so busy with my exams at school, like I genuinely forgot. I even forgot about Titanic month, guys. Every April, I watch Titanic on the anniversary of the sinking. And I just forgot. I've had a really scattered brain this like last month. So thank you guys so much for sticking with me for two years. Here's to another two. Here's to more than that (laughs) in the next couple of years. I hope to do this podcast for a very, very long time because I very do much enjoy it. Even if I, you know, do forget anniversaries sometimes. And also, you guys have had a really great response to part one of this. Like, it's been like getting listened to a lot. So, thank you guys so much for that. I mean, what a great anniversary present! You guys spoil me too much. Um, Okay, what did I what I do this week? Oh, we had an Easter egg hunt at my uh, dormitory uh, yesterday, and I was like determined to win because they had uh, like fifty dollar gift cards. I was like, "Ooh, money! I like money." So, I participated and. Oh, I did such a good job. I got second place and I got a $50 gift card and I don't know what I'm going to spend it on, but we'll see. <laughs> also, I like just watched the uh, Selena biopic movie from like 1994 with like Jennifer Lopez. I know I'm, oh, I'm so young. I wasn't alive when either this movie took place or when Selena died, ironically, Um <clears throat> it was a very good movie. I didn't know anything about Selena prior to watching it, so it was a big surprise for me. I didn't know she was murdered. That's very sad. Now I'm 20 years old and she died at 23. I can't imagine only having three years of my life left. That'd be weird. Anyway, great movie. Maybe I'll do an episode on Selena one day. I gotta add her to the list now because I like really didn't know anything about her. Okay, enough about me. Thank you guys so much. For two years of this podcast thank you so much for the 25k download yeah i think we're at 25k now we're well over 25k now anyway thank you thank you thank you love you guys okay so today we're going into part two of marie trace i hope you guys are excited i know i'm excited about this one because i feel like the second part of her life is immensely more interesting it's slightly less sad but you know it's still sad in general so let's get into it Ah, uh, Coca-Cola. <laughs> this is not an ad for Coca-Cola, but maybe it should be. Hey, Coca-Cola, maybe you want to sponsor me? I'm a, a poor 20 year old college student who really needs money. Anyway, <laughs> let's get back into it. So before we immediately jump back into the story, let's just do a quick recap. Uh, if you don't want to spend the time listening to part one, though, I highly suggest you do. So recap. <laughs> so marie trace was born in 1778 as the oldest child of louis XVI and queen marie antoinette who took like eight years to actually sleep together because you know that they had a whole bunch of like marital issues you can find out in part one so marie trace goes grows up in a life of luxury because after all it's versailles And she's princess, of course, Uh, but she also learns the values of generosity and appreciation from her mother, which is ironic because we all think of Marie Antoinette as a material girl. Uh, which is you know true in one sense but it's not the whole truth uh marie trace is a bomb ass big sister and very protective of her little brothers lj and lc from a very early age but tragically lj and younger sister sophie die unexpectedly just before the french revolution starts now the revolution is a very scary time for marie trace Uh, mainly because she is a child who has no idea what's going on. And while I sympathize with the revolution's goals because the French monarchy was corrupt, I don't like how Marie-Trace and her family were treated in general. Her family is eventually put on house arrest in a palace in Paris, but after they are caught escaping, they are sent to, like, real, real prison, like not a palace, like a prison cell, where they are treated like crap as time goes by, and in the space of three years, her father, mother, and favorite aunt are all executed by the new revolutionary government, leaving Marie-Trace alone in her cell, probably listening to her brother's cries from another room because they are abusing children now, apparently. Eventually, the night before her 16th birthday, she is liberated by her Austrian relatives. She is the only person in her family to make it out alive from the revolution as her brother had died in June of that same year. Now that you're all caught up, let's get back into it. Now, almost immediately after she is freed, she gets her first piece of information that her dad, her mother, and aunt were all dead, which, you know, she kind of suspected over the years, but she had really just been guessing for the longest time and maybe hoping they were actually still alive and the hecklers outside her window telling her her family was dead were just being mean to her. But when she actually got, like, confirmation that her family died, oh, she broke down and cried so hard. She almost made herself sick. Like, people were worried that she was gonna, like, be on bed rest for, like, weeks after she found out, which, you know, it's, it's a fair reaction, if finding out your entire family is dead. Now, on her birthday, she was told that she was being sent to Vienna, Austria, to live with her cousin, uh, the Holy Roman Emperor Francis II. And Marie-Therese, she didn't really take this news very well. Um, she wanted to stay in France. It was her home. She didn't want to talk to her Austrian relatives because she thought they could have done more to save her mother. But she had no choice. <laughs> and she was uh, begrudgingly, is, is that a word? begrudgingly packed into a carriage and sent to Vienna, which would have been, God, that would have been such a long drive. <laughs> What's that? I don't know what that is in, um, like Google Maps. I wonder how many days it would take, like, what, like a week maybe? Anyway, she's packed off to Vienna, and apparently when she, uh, crossed the border from France into Austria, she cried, <laughs> which, honestly, same girl, um. The Marie Therese arrived in Vienna on January 9th, 1796 and was greeted by her first cousin, Francis II, Holy Roman Emperor, but her life in Vienna wasn't exactly, um, how do I say this, charming? It wasn't the best. Now Marie Therese had been through probably one of the most traumatic things a teenager could go through, and because of that, she began acting really difficult with everyone around her. You know, as teenagers are, especially this poor little traumatized teenager. Uh, she refused to wear anything but black morning clothes, and she continued to speak French instead of German. And she didn't want to become more Austrian like her cousin, the emperor, wanted her to be. Like He expected that now that she was here, she act more Austrian like her mother was and less French like her father. Now, to be fair, I kind of get why her cousin Francis treated her the way he did. Not that it was okay because it wasn't. He was a fucking dick. But Francis... Really had no connection with Marie Trace because he had no connection with her mother, Marie Antoinette. I mean, Marie Antoinette was his aunt. But the last time he would have seen her, he was like two years old when she left for France, so he didn't he didn't know her. And it's probably because of that that he never made it a priority to save his aunt. her family. And it probably would have been different if his father, uh, Marie Antoinette's brother, had still been alive at the time to help. Like if Marie Antoinette's brother had still been in power at the time, I feel like like Marie Antoinette probably would have gotten out of there more safely, especially all the children. I feel like all the children would have survived in that case. Anyway, so Marie Trace spends about three pretty awful years under her cousin's thumb. (laughs) And it's only, like, a slight upgrade from her time in the temple prison. Uh, Francis even tried to marry her off once, which was... (gasps) Uh, the proposed marriage was to uh, Francis's brother, his younger brother, the Archduke Charles, uh, but he was almost a decade older than Marie Trace and she just plain didn't like him. She was like, ew. Also, they were first cousins, which, you know, actually probably didn't bother her, but it's it's, it's still ew because ew, that's your first cousin. Um, after that failed, Francis finally agreed after uh, Marie Trace's uh, probable nagging uh, to uh, join her French relatives in exile. So she uh, packed her bags and headed off to uh, Latvia. I don't know if it was called Latvia then, but the area where she went is Latvia now, uh, where her uncle, uh, the self-proclaimed Louis Eighteenth, was residing as a guest of Paul I of Russia. So I'm assuming Latvia must have been under Russian control at that time if he was a guest of Paul I of Russia. And by the way, Paul I of Russia is the son of Catherine the Great, which is cool. But Paul sucks. We'll, we'll talk about that one day. Anyway. <laughs> okay. So Marie Trace arrives in Latvia on May 3rd, 1799. Um, her uncle welcomes her with pretty much open arms. I'm, I'm pretty sure this was like her favorite uncle. Like she really liked her uncle. Uh, now, Marie-Trace's uncle was very concerned about the family's future, especially if they were able to take back the French crown. Now, he had no children of his own, and he was very concerned with who Marie-Trace was going to marry since she was, like, pretty much as close as you could get to having a perfect claim to the throne. Um, and he had the perfect person in mind for her future husband, which was louis Antoine, duke of Angoulême. now i have to let you guys know right off the bat that they were also first cousins but on her father's side instead of her mother's side uh since uh their dads were brothers uh Louis had an other other brother little one anyway but again probably didn't bother marie trace because you know this was normal she was half Habsburg. uh the bourbons also married their first cousin so this wasn't weird. Now, at first, marie Therese was pretty hesitant to marry him, but her uncle insisted it was what her parents would have wanted for her, and, you know, that was a really good line. So, on June tenth, seventeen 1799, she and Louis-Antoine got married in a small private ceremony in Latvia. Now, <laughs> if I had to describe marie Therese and Antoine's relationship, I would say it was... Not good, <laughs> I mean, they they I mean, they were <laughs> they were a bad match in general, and not just genetically because they were first hus- uh, first cousins. they were just a bad match in terms of temperament. Antoine was a shy and stammering dude. They had very little in common with each other. and. Uh, he was only a few years older than her, uh, but was a pretty unconfident person, and just did not he just didn't want to spend time with her, like, whatsoever. And Marie Trace, like, didn't want to be near him either. Like, she was like, ew, nerd. <laughs> so, as you can guess, they had no kids, despite being married for a very, very long time. Now, Marie Trace spent most of her time in exile with her uncle, helping him gain support to take back France by using her, basically, as a martyr of the revolution. Be like... Look at this poor child, the daughter of the king, all all sad and alone. Look what they did to her father. Support her, you know? Now, unfortunately, the family was forced to uh, move around a lot. Like, they didn't always um, curtail favor with the right people. Like, a king would, like, welcome them for, like, a couple years. But then he was like, okay, you have to leave. You've been here too long, you know? Um... <laughs> Especially as uh, Napoleon came up into power, lots of kings started pulling support for them. Now, during Napoleon's time on the throne as emperor of the first French Empire, Marie Trace was pretty much a constant thorn in Napoleon's side. Um, he once called her the only man in her family, <laughs> which I think says a lot about her personality and pretty much how much she pissed off Napoleon. You know, that's goals. I I want to piss off Napoleon, short motherfucker. <laughs> Now, um, eventually, after Marie Trace, she spent about uh, 14 years in exile, I believe. Hold on on a second. Let me do the math. Yeah, yeah, 14 years. Uh, Napoleon was overthrown himself and sent into exile, and the Bourbons were back, baby. Um, Now, Marie Trace and her family had been living in England under uh, George, George. It was George III at the time, yeah? Why am I asking you guys like you know, Yeah, George III. Uh, but the minute Napoleon was gone, uh, they sailed off to Paris to reclaim the throne. They were like, mine. Now, this was probably a super emotional time for Trace Because she did not trust much of the new French government, who at, at that point... Who at one point had been very, very pro Napoleon. Like she remembered all these people who had been very, very pro Napoleon. And she was not going to forget who did not give her family support. Now, luckily, she had the support of her old friend, Pauline. You guys remember Pauline, daughter of her other governess. Yeah. Uh, Pauline ended up becoming her lady-in-waiting and supported her when she went to visit the graves of her parents, and uh, she also visited where her brother had died. So it's it's nice that she had some sort of familial support, because like, it's not like her shitty fucking husband was going to do anything. Now, um, even though her family was back on the throne, it didn't come without stress. There was actually a lot of stress. Um, there were a series of, how do I put this, pretenders? There were a whole bunch of guys who were coming forward, claiming to be Maria Trace's little brother, L. C. Basically being like, hi, I'm Louis Charles. Uh, this throne is mine. I'd like to claim it. And obviously all of them were proven very, very false. None of them ever ended up actually being him. And this stressed Marie Trace so bad. Like it stressed her out so bad because she would get her hopes up that maybe, maybe this one would actually be her brother. And then she would find out kid's a fake. And it would make her like r- literally sick to her stomach with anxiety. Like she would be bedridden for like weeks after one of these pretenders would come forward. Now, about a year later, after they had been uh, fully restored to the throne, Napoleon came back. Guess who's back? Back again. Napoleon's back. Tell a friend. Um, He eventually returned to f- power and her family were ousted for about a period of about a hundred days, uh, but if you listen to Abba, you know he was uh, defeated at the Battle of Waterloo. <laughs> but that's not overly important, so we won't talk about the Battle of Waterloo or, or those a hundred days because they're they're not they're not really overly interesting <laughs> to say the least. I mean. Um, so over the next 10 years that her family was back in power, Marie-Trace lived a very quiet and reserved life in Petit. Uh, she set up her own court at the Tuileries Palace, which was renowned for its simplicity and order. And under her influence, French court life in general improved and became better mannered and like less full of parties, drinking, sex, and debauchery. So good for her. Um, Marie Trace and her husband supported their uncle and the monarchy until he died in 1824 and her father-in-law became Charles X of France and she and her husband were now the Dauphin and the Dauphin uh, at ages 51 and 46, which, whew, that's old. (laughs) Um, However, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows because anti-monarchist feelings were on the rise again as uh, Charles X took the throne because... Well, Louis XVIII, he hadn't been the best king in the world. And by best king in the world, I mean he was, like, really, really bad. Like, he did not learn shit from the revolution. And Charles X wasn't exactly shaping up to be the best king ever either because he continued to, like, not learn fucking shit <laughs> from his brother. Either of his brothers. Um, and... Charles X reigned for about uh, four four years? Yeah, until in 1830, the July Revolution broke out, which, um, if you like the play uh, Les Les Miserables, it's set during the July Revolution, if you didn't know that. Now, basically, this revolution forced Charles X to abdicate. So, at that point, marie Therese and her husband were now king and queen of France, Un- until 20 minutes later, the government forced her husband to sign the exact same abdication papers. So she was queen of France for exactly 20 minutes, like on the dot. <laughs> Um, until her distant cousin from the Orleans branch of the family became uh, king of the French, uh, Louis-, Louis Philippe. He, d- he took the throne and he used the title king of the French in order to be like a more constitutional monarchy. Uh, he reigned until I think it was like the 1850s. He got like a good 20 years, I think. But the point is her family is back on the bottom again. <laughs> all because her uncles were stupid you know i feel like if she had gotten up there she would have done a really good job and people probably wouldn't have been so pissed at everyone anyway now we're getting into the second exile exile part duh (laughs) So for the second time in her life, Marie Trace was forced to leave France and be in exile, which probably really pissed her off because that's her home. She doesn't want to leave it. Now, the royal family uh, moved back to England, well, actually technically Scotland, uh, and they lived at 22 Regent Terrace in Edinburgh until 1833 uh, when uh, the former king moved to uh, Prague, which is is that in Czechoslovakia? I think it's in Czechoslovakia. Anyway, as a guest of uh, Maria Trace's uh, other cousin, the son of her uh, asshole cousin Francis, uh, Emperor Franz I of uh, Austria. Now, they moved into uh, pretty luxurious apartments in uh, Prague Castle. Uh, Later, the royal family would leave Prague Prague and move to the estate of uh, the Count of Cornini. I I think that's how you pronounce that. Gorizia, which was then Austria, but it's it's in Italy today. Now, Marie Trace devotedly, actually, nursed her uncle through his last illness in 1836 when he uh, died of cholera that same year. That's a bad way to go, cholera. (laughs) Anyway... Um, also, during her exile, her and her husband took their uh, nephew, Henry, under their wing and hoped he would be put on the throne of France. Because he was actually a good candidate. He had a great claim, seemed like a good kid, but unfortunately, it never happened. But uh, based on how she treated Henry, like, she 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 did a good job with Henry. I think she would have been a good mom if she had had the opportunity to have children. I think she would have been a really good mom. Now, um, her husband died in... 1844 and was buried next to his father, Charles X, Uh, Marie Trace then moved to uh, Schloss. Oh, God, I'm going to I'm going to fuck this pronunciation up. Bear with me. Schloss Frosendorf, a uh, broke castle just outside of Vienna, where she spent her days taking walks, reading, sewing and just, you know, fucking praying. Now, uh, her nephew, little Henry, who now styled himself as the Comte de Chambord, and his sister joined her there and kept her company during her stay, which is really nice of him. Um, in 1884, uh, sorry, not 1884, 1848, uh, her Orleans cousin, uh, louis Philippe's reign ended in a revolution, as I mentioned before. I thought it was 1850. Apparently it was 1848. Uh, close enough, you know. And uh, for the second time, France became a republic. And about that same time, a couple years later, uh, Marie Trace unfortunately passed away of uh, pneumonia at the age of, um, oh God, how old was she? I can't remember. My bad. Anyway, she died of pneumonia on the 19th of October, 1851, uh, actually three days after the 58th anniversary of the execution of her mother, which is so sad. <laughs> She was buried next to her uncle-slash-father-in-law, Charles X, and her husband, Louis Antoine, though I don't know how they would have felt about that. Uh, Maria Troyes probably just did it for looks, but I I doubt she would have been entirely too happy about being buried next to him. Um, And she was buried in the crypt of the Franciscan Monastery Church of Castelgnazfa in Gorse, uh, then Austria, but now it's in uh, Slovenia. (laughs) Okay, now I know this has been a little short, but it's, it's all right. All right, so let's get into Maria Trace's legacy. Now, Maria Trace does not get the same amount of credit that she deserves for her efforts in keeping up morale for the Royalist faction. I mean, gosh, like... The, I, don't, I don't feel like the Bourbon Restoration, like as long as it lasted, would have been nearly as successful as it was. I mean, she was a very popular royal. People loved her. She helped her uncle organize troops. And she unfortunately used her PTSD to get support and help for her family, which, you know, might have been tragic. But, you know, it did something. Marie Trace went through a lot and unfortunately lived a very sad life due to her position and circumstances. But, you know, I really hope at the end of her life, she did find some peace in her second exile. And I hope her parents and siblings were waiting for her up in heaven when she got there. I feel like that's a nice sentiment to uh, think about because, you know, she was Catholic. She believed in heaven. And, you know, I really hope that her family was there when she got up there. Uh, Now, thank you guys so much for sticking through me with this Uh, through this two-part series. I know it probably could have been one part, but I want to split it up so I have more time. Uh, Thank you guys so much. I will see you guys in two weeks with my next episode that I'm very excited about. Um, Bye, guys. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at rain 2 The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience, so I would absolutely appreciate it if you guys could do that. Alright, uh, bye!